Hello, and welcome back to The Give and Go. I'm your co-host, Reynoso, here with my boy. Saltero, what's up, guys? The Copa Libertadores finals have been set. Mm-hmm. Fluminense will be facing off against Boca Juniors, who we just finished watching play against Palmeiras away from home. And somehow, some way, found themselves getting the victory after a crazy 1-1 tie in regulation, and then a victory in penalties, thanks to Sergio Romero. Yeah, dude, dude he had some crazy saves. Not just in the penalty shootout, but throughout the game. What's a little annoying is that it was actually, in my opinion, his mistake Mm -hmm. that ultimately let Palmeiras back into the game, but completely redeemed himself afterwards. You know, blocking that bicycle kick, getting another really good block, and then getting some really, really nice saves in that penalty shootout, man. So yeah, completely deserved Sergio Romero leading Boca Juniors into another Copa Libertadores final. Let's see if they can come out victorious, though. Let's see what can happen here because here's what's at stake for the give and go, more specifically for your boy Reno. So mm-hmm. about two months ago, we had a shoot where I stated, and I'll put the thumbnail right here so people can see it. I said that a Brazilian club would not lift the Copa Libertadores title this year, despite them having a crazy, what, three, four year run of just dominating the tournament with teams like Palmeiras and Flamengo lifting the title. I said, despite all that, I see a non-Brazilian team winning this tournament this year. And by the grace of God, Boca Juniors, despite how badly low-key they've been playing in the league and they've been playing in the build-up to this game, they got the results. And I stay alive. My prediction stays alive. And now we have an Argentina versus Brazil final in the Copa Libertadores. Boca Juniors is back on the biggest stage in South American football. If they lift it, bro, I am saved and at the same time, Boca Juniors will be lifting their seventh Copa Libertadores in their history. 100%, man. But let's go back to that game because I do want to talk about Palmeiras, the team that ultimately is keeping your your prediction alive. Because, man, I, I thought they had a pretty poor game overall. Other than the first 20 minutes where they had a lot of possession, they really didn't do much after them. And Boca, Boca actually did a really good job at settling the game down themselves and then putting on a really good defensive display. That's what really impressed me about Boca and this whole match against Palmeiras in Brazil was their defensive unity was fantastic. Like They pressed together and they held back together. When they went deep in that second half, they were pretty organized and very disciplined. Like Boca Juniors' defense looked really, really solid in this whole match. But for, for Palmeiras, man, like... There wasn't like a lot of penetration. There wasn't a lot of creativity, whether off the dribble, off the pass. Like there really wasn't much. Ronnie was like the only guy who was active in the box. He needed service. And he came on in the second half. And honestly, I'm surprised that he hasn't played more. Yeah, he should started low key, man. Yeah, low key. A burst of energy, a burst of creativity, and he was dangerous on the ball when he had that opportunity. I can see the hype. I can see it for sure. Same. This being probably the biggest stage I've seen him perform in so far, he did really good. And I'm surprised that, like you, I'm surprised he didn't get more minutes in this whole tournament. Yeah, I, yeah, seriously. I, I hadn't really seen much Copa Libertadores, but I saw in the buildup that like people were disappointed that he wasn't playing. Like, Were they maybe saving him because Madrid are going to get him like soon? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what is it really all about? Or maybe Ferreira really just 
didn't see him as a starting type of player. But no, dude, he came on the second half and he had an immediate impact, just super smooth, incredibly fast. And not only that, he was able to pair it with like some really nice through balls, really good dribbling, drawing, drawing fouls. So I thought Andrew had a really good performance, but I can't really say that about any other Palmeiras player, bro. No, that's that's my issue with Palmeiras. And that's why I kind of made such a bold prediction at the beginning of the knockout stages is because Palmeiras, they got completely outplayed also back in La Bombonera uh, last week. Uh, Boca Juniors was by far the better team. Kind of disappointed they weren't able to get a lead in that game, ending the game 0-0. I thought they, they deserved a 1-0 lead going back to Brazil. So in a way, it does make sense to me that they end up getting through to the final, getting past this Palmeiras team because I just don't think they're up to that Copa Libertadores championship level that they are so used to being at. Same with teams like Flamengo. I saw a dip in quality from them. It's why in the league you have a team like Botafogo dominating it right now and going for their first title in over 25 years. Brazil in general, I think, is is on a weird, I don't know, conundrum right now. I don't know if they drop it in quality as a whole or what's going on, but I don't think they're playing the highest level of football that they're accustomed to. And it's why I think that going into this final against Fluminense, I think it's wide open for both sides. Yeah. I think Boca could find themselves lifting the trophy at the end of this game, but at the same time, Fluminense, who went through a crazy comeback second leg victory against Internacional away from home, could also do the same thing, dude. So either two of these teams seem slated for what could be a monumental Copa Libertadores victory if they're just if things are just able to go their way, man. Because I'm so surprised to see a team like Fluminense actually here. When we've seen names like Sao Paulo in the 2000s, Flamengo, Gremio, Palmeiras, to me this is the first time, at least in my lifetime, where I've seen Fluminense here in a final of the Copa Libertadores. That's actually a really good point because you consider Fluminense to those teams that you just named, they're definitely more low-key, even even going back a decade ago when Corinthians won, yes, right? Yes, yes. So for Fluminense to actually make it to a Copa Libertadores final, it's, I, honestly, I'm actually really excited to see it. I really do like the football that they play, honestly. It's a little inconsistent, but it's because of that, I do agree with you. This final is going to be wide open. I truly see this 50-50. I think Boca Juniors' uh, defense really showed today. And again, their discipline, their ability to go on the road and after 20 minutes, take over in a way. You know, maybe not with possession or with true threat on the ball, but they didn't let Palmeiras do anything. And I thought, again, I was so impressed by that because I honestly wasn't expecting that, especially the way that that Palmeiras came started. I thought Palmeiras were just going to not run away with it, but, you know, get a comfortable 1-2-0 win. And then when the red card happened with Marcos Rojo, uh, the second yellow, I truly thought Palmeiras were going to get two goals because there was 25 minutes left. Like, come on. But... No, Boca stayed strong, and honestly, like they could have won it one nil. Yeah. Like yeah. if it wasn't for that little mistake by Romero, and it was a tricky shot, but like Boca completely deserved this, in my opinion. Yeah. So I'm actually, you know, personally, I'm glad Palmeiras aren't going to yet yeah. another final, just up. because I like to change it yeah. up. Yeah, so I'm really happy to see a team like Boca go through, but. Uh, can we talk about that other game, Internacional against Fluminense, man? We have to. I, I, my takeaway here is really interesting because. Internacional looked in control going into that match. It was 2-2 from the first leg. Second leg comes. Internacional is at home, and you get a Mercado uh, 
corner kick goal scored to give the 1-0 lead to Internacional. And for the rest of that first half, it seemed pretty well in their control. Yeah. But then the second half, a really smart move from the coach to bring on John Kennedy, who honestly, I don't even know what he's doing on the bench, bro, because from the moment he came into this match, he was a spark offensively, one of the few players providing a threat yeah. for Fluminense, who at one point just looked stale. Mm-hmm. He comes on. Gets a goal and I believe gets an assist as well. John Kennedy showing out, giving them the lead to go 2 1 up on Internacional. Yeah, I was so surprised when I did not see John Kennedy in the lineup because he had that crazy caressed assist in the first leg to actually equalize it. And I was just shocked. I was like, dude, he was their. He- he was their biggest impetus of like creation, creativity on the ball. So when Genis, the Fluminense coach, chose not to start him, I was like, huh, is he going just slightly more defensive here? I'm always opposed to that. You always have to start your most offensive players. Genis is one of the better coaches in Brazil, so I was like, okay, I'm going to step back here and see what happens. When Internacional went up 1-0, and as you already said, when Fluminense had a really lackluster rest of that first half, I was like, all right, it's Kennedy time. Yeah. Like, you have yeah. to put him on. And rightfully so, he, he did. And Kennedy went on to have a perfect second half. A nice little toe-poke finish to get that first goal, and then a beautiful little assist to Herman Cano, who, by the way, is just scoring goals for free right now for Fluminense. It's so, ah, dude, there, there, there's so many, this game has so many recognizable names, man. Oh, dude. Like Marcelo Germancano. Yeah. Sergio Rochette has found himself oh, yeah. in the Copa Libertadores semifinal yeah. with Internacional. Hugo Mayo, bro, Hugo Mayo is in Brazil. This one shocked me. I had no idea. I was like, what the fuck is this guy doing here? Ex-Celta player. And then I looked to the touchline and the coach is Eduardo Caudet. Excelta coach. And I was like, ah, okay, interesting. And then Gabriel Mercado, yes, just sir. another yes, one sir. there. Johnny Cardoso, U.S. Yeah. Men's US, International. Yeah, U.S. CONCACAF player there. Yes, sir. Yes, yeah. sir. And then Ener Valencia yeah, you as well. Like, Ener come Valencia, on. Man. Crazy. Luis Adriano on the bench. Like Shakhtar. Rodrigo de Pena, also ex-Ukrainian player. Like, what the hell? Like, there's a lot of really recognizable. And then Marcelo, <laughs> And then Marcelo for Fluminense. And then going back to Cano, the reason why I brought this up is Cano had a whole three-year stint in Liga MX. Really didn't make anything of it. I remember when he was there, he was playing for Pachuca. And yeah, he wasn't that good. Really wasn't that good. Ends up leaving Mexico after what ended up what was a failure there. And he ends up just starts scoring a lot of goals in Colombia. Gets a move to Brazil. And he was the top goal scorer last year in the Brazilian League. That's insane. Herman Cano. That's so insane. like he's really gotten a lot better since he left Mexico. And like the older he no, Mexico's gets. Mexico's just a, that tough, bro. But that, <laughs> it, you could make that argument though. Like it's kind of weird that. I, there's a number of players that once you look at their track record, went to Mexico, failed. Failed and, the, and went go back, back to South America and, and it works out. Yes. Uh, I'm not going to translate that as Mexico being a better league, but right. I am going to you know, show a really interesting eye towards it because what a fascinating prospect of like going beyond where you're born or beyond where you're comfortable and not thriving, man, but then going back home and then absolutely killing it. Yeah, it's it's nuts. So really happy for him because it just seems like the older he's getting, the truly better striker he's becoming. And it's kind of cool because when you look at a player like Gano leading Fluminense all the way to a title, if he can do it, 
it'd be crazy because he had two really big goals in these semifinals in the first leg and in the second leg. Two really big goals. And it's something that Ener Valencia could not do. I was going to say. Because Ener Valencia had some really big chances in this match, fluffed both of them. I, I would even say three, three at this three point. Yeah, why not? Because I think... I, I'm glad Fluminense is going through because... It's not like Internacional didn't have the chances to. Oh, they had way more they chances. They had way more chances, and they fell at the feet of Ecuadorian legend Ener Valencia. And three times I saw him just be at the end of these plays and saying, oh, here it comes. Here yeah. comes that moment, that badass, legendary, I'm that guy, Ener Valencia moment we've been seeing for so long in his career. And it was back to back to back misses every single time. Not even close, especially that header, dude. The, oh, header, the header he had crazy. from like the penalty spot, wide open. Wide open. Completely off. I said, if you're not going to make that in this moment, then <laughs> then whatever comes to you is is on you. And it ended up being that because Fluminense then found their way back into the game and took advantage and got the lead. And Valencia is still asleep right now. He has not woken up. He does not want to face the world right now in this moment because it is a little bit of his own fault that Internacional has, is not seeing themselves in this Copa Libertadores final because he had so many chances that he just couldn't produce in. Yeah, it was super disappointing. And I, that header shocked me, man. I, I could not believe it. Dude, it, it could not have been more wide open. And, dude, he was like, what, four or five yards away from the goal. Like, just put your head on the ball, put it in the back of the net, take the win, and you go into the Maracana and you're in the final. Yes. Like, it really should have been Internacionales. They have a really good balance between offense and defense, but their lack of finishing is ultimately what did them in. And then conversely, on the other side, Fluminense were very clinical. Very, very clinical. Again, that second goal is actually really beautiful yeah. buildup. A nice little outside crossball to the wing. Yoni Gonzalez, first-time volley entry pass to John Kennedy. And he kind of flicks, dummies it. I don't even know if he actually touches it. But he tries and makes the attempt to flick it. And it goes perfectly into path to Germán Cano. And Cano just drills it, bro. He fucking drills it. And Fluminense, I, I honestly couldn't believe they turned it because yeah. I truly thought Internacional were going to take it. Even though Fluminense did have a better second half, Internacional still crafted chances. They just couldn't finish them. Yeah, and so now what it sets up is a final between Fluminense and Boca Juniors. What really stands out to me, obviously, in South America are the storylines, the narratives going into these matches. Playing at the Maracana, probably, if not the biggest stadium in South America, a historic stadium that has seen so many big, monumental games. That's where the final's going to be played at. I'm down for that. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, I believe Fluminense has been playing all of the Copa Libertadores games, or at least like the last five, in El Maracaná already. They're from Rio de Janeiro. That's their home stadium, technically. Fluminense is from Rio. So it's actually crazy that they've made it all the yeah. way to this final because they have... Pure home advantage, pure, in a way. Pure home advantage. Boca's going to need low-key a miracle here. Because they're <laughs> going to have so. to play up to the best level that they can play at in order to defeat this team that is essentially at home. A final that is going to contain some memorable names, such as Edison Cavani, who has found himself here at you know with the possibility of lifting up the biggest trophy in South America, despite how crazy his tenure already has been with Boca and the way his career has gone with a what I would call failed stint at Valencia and another one at Manchester United. United, comes to South America, there might be something there for him. Valentin Barco, 19 years old, will go down as a Boca legend, I believe, if he ends up guiding this team offensively towards another Copa Libertadores championship. 
the Fernandez bros yeah. in the midfield. Yeah. You got um, Luis Advinculas. Luis Advinculas That's such there. a cool narrative yes. that this Peruvian fullback went to Europe, had a really good career there, was really successful with their Peruvian international team. And now he's coming back. And now he comes back to South America and has a chance to win yes. a big title. It's yes. so cool. Same with uh, Sergio Romero, yeah. storied uh, Argentina goalkeeper. Marcos Rojo. You Frank got these. Fabra. Fabra. Frank Fabra. Yes, you got names now that are. Going for something special from Boca's side, but then you look the other way. How could you? I mean, it's the it's the tough. It's gonna be the biggest story going in. Marcelo pursuing that trophy, that Copa Libertadores trophy. I truly don't know how he ended up here, bro. I really don't, because ultimately, like, I saw him sign for Fluminense after a really weird stint at Olympiacos. Ends up going to Fluminense. And here we are at a final, dude. And Marcelo could see himself lift up another massive major trophy in his career. The dude is a born winner. Despite not really playing his best these past few games, it's still Marcelo. And he's capable of something really special, at least bringing that energy to a team that is infectious towards winning championships. And the guys you already mentioned, uh, Herman Cano, uh, John Kennedy. You also have uh, their goalkeeper, Fabio who's 43 years old, bro. Oh, I actually did not know that. 43. I think that's Buffon's age right now, man. Bro, that's actually crazy. It's ridiculous. This team actually, I was looking at their ages. It's a really old-ass team, dude. Shit. I mean, throwing Marcelo as well, who's already like 34, and then these guys. There's a lot of old folks on this team, but it's pure experience, and they're going for something truly special. Yeah, for Marcelo, I don't know if this is true, but I, I think he started his like youth career at Fluminense. Is that what's going? I'm is that almost what it is? positive. So okay. it's, it's kind of like Luis Suarez going back to Nacional for a yeah. little bit. I think Marcelo's like, yeah, hey, you know what? Let's go go okay. back home. Cool. It's crazy cool. that it works out it this way, bro. bro. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like doesn't. the fact that he's in a final with honestly a really good chance and also winning it like that's crazy man <laughs> like it's, it must be really nice to be marcelo bro yeah, holy yeah. shit i'm excited for this final it's happening in november early november i think it might be like the fifth or fourth yes sir and i mean for me my pick is obvious well, you got i'm it. gonna have to go with boca juniors on this one i have to they're my last remaining hope my concern with them is that i just i don't see the consistency that i would hope out of a copa libertadores champion but fortunately i don't think that's what is going to be needed to lift this trophy, man. It's really going to end up coming down to a one-off game, 90 minutes. Who wants it more? Who puts in the best performance? Everything around it, I don't think will truly matter, which is why there's an Argentine bug going around since the World Cup happened that we've seen infect every single Argentine player and Argentine club. And I think that same bug is going to make an appearance at the Maracana to guide Boca Juniors to a final. So I'm going Boca, bro. I'm going Boca. Yeah, dude, the penalty shootout today against Palmeiras gave me weird flashbacks of Argentina-France 2022 <laughs> because this penalty shootout was easy for Boca. Yeah. This was easy. Yeah. Palmeiras couldn't make a fucking shot, and Boca just slotted each one home, essentially. So, yeah, definitely there's that Argentine bug, and it's been going around for a while, man. So I, I actually do agree with that. And that point of how you're saying Boca have willed themselves to get to this final is why I think they have a decent chance. because they've proven that it doesn't really matter who they face. They figure it out. It's not pretty. It's pretty defensive. And yeah, that's just how Boca play right now. I don't think they honestly have that good of an offense. It's also why I think Fluminense is going to have a better chance than Palmeiras because I don't know if Boca's really going to attack Fluminense that much. And I think Fluminense have a better offense, a much better offense than Palmeiras. The way I see it, 
I'm going Fluminense. I think their toughest task was that semifinal against Internacional. They survived it. Mm -hmm. They were able to score four total goals. And I think they're going to take that offense that they have, and they're going to take it to Boca. I don't think they're going to kill them, but I do think Fluminense are the better side in that regard. Now, here's the thing, though. Their defense is pretty open. You know, Internacional honestly could have won that game like 5-2, to two, bro. Like, it really is like that. The only reason why I'm not worried for Fluminense is because I just don't really trust Boca's offense. Now, what? but again, you Sorry. do have players like Cavani, and Valentin Barco was honestly phenomenal today. Like, his dribble penetration was fantastic. And he's actually pretty creative. Like, yes. he makes pretty good decisions as far as, like, when to pass it or when to keep dribbling. So... It's not that Boca don't have as many options, it's just that I think Fluminense are just a little bit better it's offensively. Just a better team, they're bro. I'm not better. gonna sugarcoat yeah. it. I think they're a better yeah. team, and you add the home factor aspect. That that's the crazy that's part. That's tough, man. But and but what's crazy though is that the way Fluminense played in that first half against Internacional, I saw a nervous team. I never saw Boca nervous in Palmeiras, and that's what scares me about Fluminense's chances because for me, it's up to them. If they show up and they're like, holy shit, and they're shaking, which would be understandable, I think Boca could take advantage, man. I think Boca would be very comfortable in that type of situation. But if Fluminense come out, use that crowd, it's over. <laughs> it's yeah, over. It's really tough. Yeah. It's really tough. The offensive threat that Boca has, yeah, I agree. It's limited. It's limited. And so much comes down to Cavani. Does he decide to arrive on the day? His build-up play is... Eh, and then ultimately his finishing can be so lackluster. But a guy like Valentin Barco cooking on the wings, finding himself on the left or the right side doesn't matter. Finding way to finding ways to penetrate, finding ways to drill past players could create some danger. Advincula just banging himself up that line and trying to create something offensively. Yeah. There are options. I do see why. I, I think going in, Fluminense is the favorite. Boca is going to have to achieve something really incredible here. I'm going Boca, bro. Ultimately, you're going Fluminense. Going this Fluminense. is fun. We'll check back on this to see how it pans out. But Maracana, Copa Libertadores, man. Yeah. I'm so excited to see just the atmosphere and the stage that is set for these players. Staying in the region, let's quickly just talk about Copa Sudamericana because the finals have been set there. For anybody who might not know that Copa Sudamericana is basically the Europa League of South America. And I was looking up just some facts about it. Tournament is only 21 years old. Yeah. It's a young tournament. It is just now old enough to drink this tournament. <laughs> 21 years old. And there was a point between 2004 and 2008 where CONCACAF teams were invited to participate in this tournament. Damn. And it's crazy because basically every year that they were allowed to compete, there was one CONCACAF team that did something notable. Pumas lost to Boca Juniors uh, in the final in 2005 in penalties. So that's really, really close. Damn it, yeah, Pumas. Boca won it. And then in 2006, the first and only time that a CONCACAF team has successfully lifted a trophy in South America, Pachuca won the 2006 Copa Sudamericana against Chilean side Colo Colo, a crazy, crazy victory that has gone down in Pachuca's history. They'll always have that, which is just nuts. That's crazy. 2007, America went all the way to the final and lost. So not bad, honestly, not bad for a uh, three, four-year stint. But since then, uh, Mexican clubs have not been invited, nor have uh, MLS sides. And just a really quick side take, man, watching these games, watching Sudamericana, watching Libertadores, I can't help but feel that it's begging at this point. To get that inclusion of Mexican and U.S. teams back into the tournament, man. Let's do it full throttle. Let's get three teams from each league involved. 
Throw them into the fucking tournament. I want to see how Nashville does. I want to see how Cincinnati does. Inter Miami does against these Argentine, Peruvian, Chilean, Brazilian sides. I'm ready for it, man. I've waited long enough. Please, will we ever truly get that? Dude, I I was kind of thinking about that too. And it's weird. I have like a reverse take on this. I can't even believe at one point it was like that. I can't believe yeah, it. Yeah. I, I can't believe that Liga MX teams would go down to South America midweek for a group stage match in Bolivia or Brazil and play a competitive match. And then the reverse as well. I can't believe, man, that like Ecuador and Argentine teams would go to Mexico to play a Copa Libertadores match. Like a competitive Conmebol competition was played in Mexico. Like that's so cool, but I can't believe it ever happened. Yeah, yeah. And for me... I think it's just the logistics of it, man. Like the more the more that Liga MX and MLS like play with each other as far as like creating new competitions, I just think the less they'll they'll be looking down south to try and get into the Copa Libertadores, man, because I mean, I, I just think that both MLS and Liga MX schedules are already like pretty oh, damn booked. The CONCACAF Champions League is kind of revamped over the last couple That's of true. years. So I just feel like there's a lot more focus within CONCACAF. But if there is a way to do it, then I'm all for it. I just don't see logistically mm. how you get these teams to like willingly go down to South America and also just the, the reverse too. Like I just don't see it. But dude, it'd be fucking dope be if we awesome. could. It'd be awesome. It'd be great if the Americas just united and we just created one whole entity and we just competed within that, man. But like you said, the logistics are crazy and the times we're in now are much different than the past. I remember the Champions League just wasn't that rampant in the 2000s for CONCACAF. It wasn't really fully fleshed out. Yeah. And so there was an open slot almost for Copa Libertadores to come in and fulfill. Nowadays, there's just so much soccer to be played. And now with the Leagues Cup yeah. as well, I think it's why ultimately Comebol and CONCACAF decided on that partnership of having Copa Lib champions face off against what? Leagues Cup champions or something CONCACAF like Champions that. League champions? We'll have a top four teams of both federations competing against each other, but we won't have a fully fleshed out tournament or Mexican teams actually make an appearance in these tournaments. But regardless, in La Copa Sudamericana, all I want to highlight is the fact that now we have Fortaleza, Brazilian side, facing off against LDU de Quito, a team from Ecuador, trying to defend the trophy low-key for Ecuadorians all around the world because last year, Independiente del Valle won the tournament. Yeah, they were fantastic last year. Fantastic team. Worth noting that in this Quito side, you have one of your favorite players of all time, Paolo Guerrero, Still playing Crazy. to an elite level, a level above the competition. When you see him on the field, when you see the confidence he has, how he plays in general, he's just a step above. And you can tell that all that's holding him back is truly his physical state. Yeah. If he was still that young Paulo Guerrero that led Corinthians to a FIFA Club World Cup over Chelsea, yeah. this I mean, this player would be still in fucking Europe scoring banger goals. But instead, you have him here in La Copa Sudamericana scoring a brace in a 3-0 victory against Defensa y Justicia, ultimately guiding them to a finals appearance in La Copa Sudamericana. Yeah, it's so cool that he is kind of finishing his career in Ecuador because every year there's always at least one really good Ecuadorian team that does something, whether in the Sudamericana or maybe they make a decent run in the Libertadores. But when you watch Ecuadorian football, there's such an emphasis on offense. And even with the midfield, too, moving the ball forward as quickly as you can, 
dribble penetration, but also like trying to get creative with like really nice through balls, really nice passing and interchange. You add in a guy like Paolo Guerrero, he fits in perfectly, man, because he completely understands offenses at the highest level. So there's no problem to fit in with, you know, really young Ecuadorians or Argentines that are on that team. They play a really silky style of football. He's going to fit in just perfectly too because, yeah, I've always said it, back to goal, Paolo Guerrero is one of the best. You know, again, you may not have the legs anymore, but dude, his link-up play, his build-up, he, he, he knows exactly where his teammates are or will be, and he knows exactly how to just craft a really good offensive play. So for Guerrero, man, I'm really happy to see him still like at an elite level in this case the Copa Sudamericana final it's just so dope it's dope man it's dope and for El Edu de Quito if they win the Copa Sudamericana it'll be their second in their history uh they last won it in 2009 but this would be still the biggest trophy for this club they never won Copa Libertadores this would be a massive achievement and on the other side, Fortaleza Brazilian side if they go on to win Copa Sudamericana it'll be by far the biggest trophy in their history. They never come close to reaching a final like this in either tournament. This is an incredible moment, a com- an incredible opportunity that Fortaleza has. And you could see it in the fans, bro. You could see it Just in the fans for that say. semifinal matchup, winning their second leg game at home to then push them to this final. Fortaleza fans are fully aware that there is something special available for us if we want it. And, bro, if fan bases could just guide their team to victory, this team would be 100% deserving of it because insane atmosphere as well as gameplay that ultimately guided them towards defeating Corinthians in that semifinal. Dude, when Tinga scored that second goal in that second leg in Fortaleza, I got chills based off of every single person's reaction in that stadium. The coach, the players all like surrounded Tinga, slapping him on the head. (laughs) Goal, goal, goal. But dude, the fans, nuts. I haven't seen an atmosphere like that in a while. Dude, it was so loud. Everyone started singing, dancing. Fortaleza was alive in that stadium, man. You're 100% right, bro. Like, if you have a if you have a fan base like that, can, yeah. then you can you can do a lot and it's actually for that reason, for that reason why I'm going for them in the final. Really? Yeah. You think they'll show up in uh, Maldonado, in Uruguay? I actually do think so. Okay. They're, they're a solid team, but I think Liga de Quito is going to also give them a run for their money. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be open, but personally, I'm actually going to go for Fortaleza because, like, again, like when you look at the team that they are in Brazil, they're, they're really not a big, big team. So for them to win, like, silverware, I, I, I it's, like, unheard of at this point. So I would yeah. love to see Fortaleza actually pull it off. It's, cra- it's crazy when you, when you look at the teams that are vying for titles from Brazil. Botafogo in the league. Mm, mm. Fortaleza Sudamericana. And then Fluminense. Wow, yeah. There you go. Like I said, the top teams just aren't showing up this year. Instead, you have these... These feisty Brazilian sides trying to do something special, and we might see it. But that—that's also. But that's also why I think a lot of people may have really disagreed with your no Brazilian team is going to win the whole thing take, because even when the top teams in Brazil aren't doing well, you still have Brazilian teams in the final of both tournaments. That's true. That's true. And so the quality of Brazil is so much higher than any other league in South America that. You know, even these lesser teams are still not dominating, but they're still beating out any other team that comes their way. That's fair. That's and fair. Yeah, it's just phenomenal to see. But also, but also to go back to that Fortaleza atmosphere, man, 
Well, let, take, me, let, me, let me respond to that. You want to respond to that? respond to that. Because okay. if you remember my take, I said that I don't see any side that's not Brazilian lifting a Sudamericana. I said only for the Libertadores, I see a non-Brazilian side. So Boca still has a chance. If Boca wins and Fortaleza wins, my take is still accurate. Oh, yeah, I'm not saying yeah. that. I, what I'm saying is just the mid-tier Brazil is still top tier in yeah. any other country. Dude, it's why I'm so surprised when I look at just what teams qualify in the league. I think it's like their top nine teams out of 20 yeah, get qualification into Copa Libertadores and Sudamericana. Yeah. That's insane, bro. It's Can insane. you imagine that in a European context? <laughs> all going to the Champions League and Europa League? Yeah. That's how yeah. dominant they truly are, and that's how big the gap is. I'm not denying that whatsoever. Yeah. I just think when it comes to that championship grit, I don't think they have it this year. We'll see if I'm right. Okay, yeah, no, yeah. That, that, that's, that's actually fair. The championship grit, that, that, that's actually really, really fair. But, dude, like, one thing that really stood out to me watching the Sudamericana and uh, Libertadores semifinals is these home atmospheres in Brazil in general, bro, in general, are ridiculous. That's yeah, stupid. It's, it's ridiculous. It's fucking crazy. Like, even though Palmeiras got screwed today, and rightfully so, Dude, what a stadium. Mm-hmm. What a packed house. It's beautiful pitch. Beautiful stadium. Just the architecture of it all. It's huge. And dude, not yeah. a single seat was open. Yeah. Not a single one. It was the same thing when Fluminense hosted Internacional. It was the same thing when Internacional hosted Fluminense, bro. Like, I, I, I'm kind of jealous. Like, yeah, holy man. shit. But not only, like, not only that, like, how it looks, too, it's very close to being, like, European almost. Like, just the way it looks, it's, like, super nice. The pitches look completely pristine. Like, these Brazilians are putting on some really cool shows from just a footballing perspective, and it's honestly really beautiful yeah. to see, and I haven't really caught on to it yeah, like that. I, I love how reliable they are, man. It's like no matter the context of the tournament or competition, they're going to show out, and that's what I think does differentiate them from, you know, an MLS side or Liga MX right. side is that the fans are very subjective towards what the game actually means. Chivas fans, bro, they won't show up unless it's a semifinal appearance at the at the unless it's a semifinal appearance at the Akron. That's when you'll see a full jam-packed stadium. But Brazil has even bigger stadiums with bigger capacities being filled to the brim, absolute cauldrons with not a single empty seat in sight. And then on top of that, just incredible chants, incredible atmospheres. The game today was delayed between Palmeiras and Boca Juniors because there was smoke on the field. It's just crazy to think about the scenes that these Brazilian clubs and fans are able to create week in, week out, bro. Yeah. And so ultimately, when it comes down to this final between Fortaleza and Quito, I really want to go Quito on this one, right? I want to because seeing Paulo Guerrero just play his absolute heart out is a beautiful thing to see. But when I look at the people around him, that's where I get a little skeptical. There's uh, an ex-Liga Mekis player, I believe, Ibarra. Uh, oh, Renato. Played, Renato Ibarra. Yeah. Who, man, I find to be so wasteful, man. Mm-hmm. So wasteful. There was a play in the second leg where... Paulo laid him off a beautiful pass. He's one-on-one with the keeper, and he doesn't even put it on goal, man. It's off to the right. And I'm just thinking, bro, if the opposite had happened, Paulo is finishing that shot 10 times out of 10, and that's a goal. I think that the surrounding pieces behind the offensive input that Paulo Guerrero has will come to play against Quito in this final. Whereas for Fortaleza, I just saw more of a team, man. I saw more of a team unity with guys like Pikachu, Pochettino in this squad. I think what they have to offer as a whole is going to be enough to defeat this Quito side. And we're going to see a Brazilian team lift La Sudamericana. 
The UEFA Champions League continues its run as we've, you know, been so involved in this tournament, making our predictions beforehand and just seeing how these major, massive clubs play out. And this specific match week, man, some insane matchups. Some insane matchups, some insane results. Something crazy is in the air right now. Football is on a goddamn high right now. Mm -hmm. And I think we saw it with the Newcastle United versus PSG match. At same James Park, which to me was as loud as I have ever seen it in my 28 years of life. Qatari money against Saudi Arabian money going head to head here, bro. A clash of the titans. Newcastle United trashed PSG 4-1. to I mean, what a fucking game, dude. What a fucking game. Insane goals from Newcastle and Miron getting on the board. Uh, Fabian Schar scoring a goal. Dude, uh, Dan fucking, Burns damn. going a banger. Banger, dude. Sean Longstaff also with a really good finish. His names are crazy. Nice though. little slip, <laughs> slip shot right in the corner. Keeper couldn't handle it. My God. <laughs> I can't I know. believe it. That's what I'm saying. I can't believe we're saying these names <laughs> in the Champions League context yeah. against a, you know, a team that has a lot of money behind them yeah. and PSG. And PSG honestly solidifying the concerns, the anxiety, and the thoughts we've had about them since before the transfer window even started, bro. Yeah, man. That's why I was so pissed that people were so high on them after the first match week because I'm like, guys, like, yeah, yeah. let them play a good team first. Yeah. Then you make a decision. They're struggling in League One. They got killed at St. James Park. And I just think this is the worst PSG team in 10 years. Yeah, and, and on the other flip side, Newcastle United finally starting to show those signs of the team that I was hoping for would make an appearance this season. Yeah. Especially since, and I remember a shoot a couple weeks ago when they were going on that weird start to the season. Since that moment, they've defeated Man City in the Carabao Cup, which was very notable. They've gone on a winning streak or undefeated streak in the Prem specifically, I think out of four or five games so far. Yeah. And then Champions League, they tied away from home against AC Milan and then got this victory against PSG. They're finding their form again is what I'm saying. And it yes. makes me really happy because Newcastle United was a team that I was really high on. I, I think I went so far as putting them in the top five of the Premier, maybe top four, I believe. And so I'm happy to see them finally get that resurgence back into them with a result like this. Fucking crazy, bro. Fucking crazy. Yeah, I thought they completely executed the game plan to perfection man like they didn't let psg breathe at all for the full 90 minutes and it it, it was the vintage newcastle that we would hope to actually see out this season man where they get the ball and they just go and they have so many different avenues of attack so much pace yeah. and just so much drive and especially with that crowd behind you i thought newcastle th th this was an a, an amazing performance from newcastle amazing. anything to be said about mbappe here do you think, I've do you been think trying it, to think of something. Yeah, is there anything to be said? Because I, I, a lot of criticism came in Bappe's way for especially going ghost in this game, mm -hmm. not really doing much. I just, I, I man, Mbappe is such an enigma to me, man. 25 years old, one of the best in the world, playing in the fourth, fifth best league in the world right now, still hasn't made that move. Trying to do something special for this Parisian side, but not finding success truly in Europe. And then having games like this every now and then where just things don't go his way. Is it more to Newcastle's credit or does Mbappe deserve some criticism here? I almost want to take a different approach here and kind of, kind of say that I think Mbappe is going through something. I, I th I've seen his performances here and there this start of the season. He doesn't look the same. 
He really doesn't. And I just mean from like the old clinical self where he's, you know, can score a goal a game because that yeah. is his level. Yeah. And that's not there right now. I, it just simply isn't. And I think it goes back to that point. I think he's realizing that he's with a project that's basically started over. And he was never really a part of that reset, right? He's, when he joined PSG, he was on the rise, you know, coming from Monaco, coming from a semifinal Champions League appearance. And then the move to PSG was to win a Champions League with Neymar. You get a player like Messi, you know, you complete that. Never happened. And the Madrid sagas that has happened the last two off-seasons, I think is just messing with everybody's heads, Mbappe's included. And I think the team that he sees around him now, I, I don't know if he's motivated, bro. I don't think, I don't, I don't, I don't I think he's motivated. I don't think so because remember the, the beginning of the season, bro, he wasn't there for their first game. He basically showed up oh, late, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Because he was still like in contention of like wanting to leave. He had some weird discussion with the president or owner of PSG. Yeah. There was this weird energy in the air. So he actually, I don't even know if he got benched or if he was even on the bench, but he didn't play the first match for PSG. I mean, just imagine that. Imagine a group project where you guys start a week before it's due and a guy pulls up like halfway through the week. Yeah. What does that say about his commitment to the project? That's not good. That's not positive. I think Mbappe almost has this like, feeling of like fuck dude yeah. if this is if this is how it's gonna look for the rest of the season maybe it's not worth putting my full effort into and you see him pull off a performance like this where he is fucking gone for 90 minutes straight man so i hope something comes from this i hope he can maybe just find a you know i hope he can find some motivation within himself to fucking improve but what we're seeing right now it's scary, man, because he is one of my favorite players in the world. I know, man. That, that's why it's so disappointing because every year I know I, I could get a show if I just watch PSG because I know Mbappe's on the pitch. We've talked about it before. Like, even though they had Neymar and Messi, it, it was Mbappe, you know, yeah. pre-World Cup, even a little bit post. Like, and PSG yeah. has always been Mbappe's team ever since he basically joined there. He's that good. And it, so it's just disappointing to see that he's kind of checked out or if he's not checked out, he's just not playing well. Yeah. It's just really disappointing to see, especially, you know, you already said he's 25 years old. He has so much more to give at the highest level of European football. So to kind of see him just falter here with his PSG squad, it's, dude, it's super disappointing. Maybe he's going to try and, like, just force a transfer, like not play well. I, I don't know. I don't know, force it, but it... it I think it'll be next transfer window. Yeah. It'll be then, and he'll finally go to Real Madrid and get what he wants. But, God, dude, it basically feels like a whole year is being wasted here. It's completely wasted, and that that's why I was so disappointed he didn't make the move this transfer window, or honestly, yeah. the last transfer yeah. window, low-key. But, and, and then, just when you really look at this PSG squad, I don't even know if Mbappe fits. I really don't think he does. The type of team that Enrique is trying to build is like that of just... You use the resources that you have at your disposal. You ha you can buy a good player here like Ugarte. You can buy another player here. You can keep a player like Vitinha. But other than that, does like a superstar <laughs> fit into yeah. this team? I actually don't think nah, so. Man. And I, so I, I just I, I think right now the Mbappe and the PSG just not meshing. Yeah, man. I was trying to watch Kolo Muani throughout this match, and I noticed that basically his role for this team is fill the space in which Mbappe isn't in. Because Mbappe is just constantly all around the offensive front line, right? He can be on the right, the left, yeah. or the middle. Moana is just looking at Mbappe the whole time, like, "Where the fuck are you going, bro? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go the opposite way of you. I'm gonna try to, I'm gonna try to find something else because it might be 
he might have too much of a pull in Mbappe that ends up affecting this team because Mwani just doesn't know what he truly has to do out there. And Dembele is just always on the wings, just trying to create something. The offensive chemistry that they're trying to build right now is really weird. I don't know if Enrique Ball is a solution. Yeah. It still is technically early, but bro, I was disappointed because from a personal side, I was trying to see what Mbappe would look like in a Premier League context. And we got that technically with them facing off against Newcastle, but Mbappe didn't show up. Mm-mm. And I wanted to see him put up, you know, get a brace in this match, be a Premier League villain for one day. Didn't even get that sneak peek, bro. So, Fuck him, bro. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I love him, Bobby. But damn, dude. Damn. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just disappointing is all I can really say. I'm going to need that athletic reaction from you, man. I'm going to need that. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. going to need that. Ten bucks a pop. Sell me that athletic reaction right now, bro. What are you thinking, bro? Because this team, <laughs> I've been I've watched so much athletic football for no goddamn reason, dude, in the past two weeks. And they've had a crazy... You could say past four or five games. Mm. And it continued on with this match against Feyenoord. This game was crazy, man. One of the most insane games I've ever seen. I'm not even talking about like the narrative points, like the goals. I'm just talking about from zero to 90 minutes, this was one of the most enjoyable, competitive matches I've ever seen, man. It's one of those games where you really wish it didn't stop. Because, mm. dude, it was just pure joy. I wasn't even in my body. It was kind of like a spiritual experience for me because I was just lost in the Metropolitano, bro. Lost. Hearing the Atleti chants that would just come in and out of the game and then seeing the football on display, man. Like, every single player out on that pitch, whether they were for firing or for Atletico, had some sort of crazy moment. Whether it was just like a crazy touch, a really good pass, an insane dribble, or like a really good combination play. Like every single player was on it that night for both Atletico and Feyenoord. What a game, bro. One, one, one of the, it, seriously, after the match ended, I was like, dude, we are blessed to be able to watch high quality football at, you know, at our disposal because and, and it's not even that Arsenal lawns, you know, we can talk about that later. Like, just what we can see. Beautiful. And th- that's what's crazy is that Atletico, Feyenoord, they're not going to win the league this year. Okay, wait. They're not going to win. They're not going to win the Champions League, bro. Feyenoord's got something to play. But the fact that they could entertain the way they did and the fans could get behind Atletico and that we had a five-goal thriller where Atletico never led once until they actually took the lead 3-2, the fact that we have that type of game in a group stage, man, it's just... It's World Cup vibes, bro. It's like when a a group stage match between two teams that aren't contenders (sighs) is just a shootout. It's just a great match. It's that same type of energy. But we're getting it like, you know, on a Tuesday. And that's what's nice about it. I see what you're trying to say. In in October. In October, bro. The season just started a month ago. Yeah. And we're already seeing this. Like, and God, I I just couldn't couldn't believe what I saw. Atletico Feyenoord. It was just a crazy game. And it starts... With Weta getting on the end of the ball, Oblak makes a good save off of the strike, but it crashes off of Mario Hermoso, who's also trying to get the ball. Own goal, ultimately. Feyenoord take the lead early, and I start sweating, bro. I start sweating. Because y'all just came off the same thing against Gadis. 
where you <laughs> conceded first, right? Yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. Just like yeah. again with this shit, man. It's, yeah, it's again. But I'm. But the thing is, I'm not surprised. I'm not. I'm not really surprised by this from Atletico because I don't see us as an elite team. I see us as a very good team. So when a team like Feyenoord comes to our home and starts off very strongly, I'm like, okay, we should have expected this. Why did we let that in? Like, let let's pick up the pace, and we did. Once that goal came in, we kind of settled in, but it was still back and forth. Feyenoord just attack, attack, attack. I want to highlight Baixao, the Brazilian left winger. Holy shit, dude. He had a crazy game. Crazy. Trigger happy. It's just shooting from 20, 25 yards out, combining with his midfielders. Uh, Vifer, I believe is his name. Also just incredibly good Dutch midfielder. So many good players on this Feyenoord team, bro. Seriously. And, but, but. We forced their hand and get a really good goal from Morata. It was a through ball. Technically, it was offside. What the did left you think wings. about that? Yeah, so I, I thought, honestly, it should have been offside. But, but then I heard the commentator. The rule book. The, and the way the commentator kind of explained it was, as a defender, you kind of have to know that the player you're trying to guard is offside. So if you bite for the ball and it never even gets close to the player, it's onside. Yeah, the, the rule book says that that yeah. that if a play is made by a defender, then no matter where that player is, yeah. it can be off. But it does just seem kind of fucked up that ultimately that defender and that specific play got punished for defending because a smart move would have been recognizing where his the, where his offensive player was and just letting the ball go through, which is just a crazy thing to accept. I think there's some a little bit of a flaw there in that rule that needs to be fixed because ultimately promoting defense. And defenders to defend should be the motive here, especially with how much is against defenders already. The fact that ended up going in, I was like, oh, that's that's harsh. That's a harsh goal to concede because if he doesn't touch the ball, the player's offside. Yeah, that point is definitely harsh. I agree with you, and that's why I initially thought it was offside. My only counter to that is he bit it at it, he bit at it badly. Big when, time. Big time. Like, he was completely full stretch, shouldn't have gone for it if he didn't think he was going to get good contact on it, but he still did. And that's why I think the goal is fair because at the end of the day, the defender should have known how to approach that ball, and he, he approached it in the worst way, essentially. So I think in, in a kind of fucked up way, he deserved to be punished. <laughs> he deserved. And, he got and, punished, and Morata Mor- made sure he punisher, got punished, bro. bro. The punisher. Really good finish from Morata. He's been good lately, man. He's been fantastic, yeah. bro. And it, my, my whole take on Morata after this game, man, is that uh, he does a lot bad, a lot. But I think he does more good. And I think you could describe that as his entire career. Yeah. 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 He's done, he's done a lot. He's made a lot of mistakes, I think, man. I think he'd be a great player before the social media era. Because Ooh. I think he's one of those guys, almost like, the, like a De Gea or even like a Harry Maguire, who... Because his lows can be so low, yeah. it gets highlighted even more. But when you truly look at his whole career and what he's achieved, Morata's good, bro. He's fucking good. It's like really good. Yeah. And if he played in the 2000s instead of the 2010s and 2020s, I think he'd be remembered as a much better player than how he's going to be remembered 10 years from now. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I completely agree. Yeah. Uh, seriously. I, I love Morata, honestly. For as much as I hate it. <laughs> When he misses easy chances, I hate it. I, I love him. At the end of the day, he was the actual number nine replacement for Diego Costa. We have not had a better striker since Costa other than Alvaro Morata. And Morata has been there time and time again 
but he's also not been there time and time again. That's <laughs> my, kind of my point here. Very frustrating, but yeah. at the end of the day, I'm very happy to have him on my team, dude. Incredibly happy. Firenard ended up going up 2-1. I don't even want to talk about that fucking goal. It was just stupid, dude. It was stupid, man. Yeah. Oh, like gets a little bit unlucky, but yeah. right before the half, Antoine Griezmann with with a moment of pure instinctual brilliance, bro. The ball's flashing behind him. He has to turn his back to goal. And he's, he notices the moment. He notices the window's incredibly narrow for him to actually find a way to score the ball, but he finds it. It's incredible. You watch this play. The way that that ball flashes in front of Griezmann, the ball's right here at his head, right here. And in that moment, he says, I'm hitting this shit. And he hits it perfectly. A nice little bike, and it's 2-2. But it's just Antoine Griezmann, man. What can like, you say, man? What can you say that hasn't been said? That's what I'm saying. Like, What can you say, man? The, the instincts that that man possesses, the way that he does it, his decision-making, there never will be, and I don't think there ever has been a player like Antoine Griezmann. Yeah. And it's just insane to actually watch that man play because he's brilliant. And he's yeah. getting up there in age, but it doesn't matter because his instincts is unlike any other player and he's still able to finish off the way that he does dude it's it's ridiculous bro i yeah I, it's ridiculous throw him a tennis ball he'll catch it with a without a <laughs> racket more instinctual than a lion harp i don't even know what <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the game goes on the game goes on and we immediately start the second half with a brilliant cross from Nahuel molina bro look at this cross if you haven't seen it an incredible whipping ball, and honestly, pretty hard to deal with. But guess who does? Alvaro Morata with a crazy yeah, hour. one touch little finish to just guide it home. Finally, looked a little shell shocked because honestly, I, I was surprised that we started off that way. 3 2, and I was like, all right, there's a lot more to be played, there's going to be more goals, but. Oddly enough, Atletico held strong. We definitely laid off the pedal offensively, and we just looked to be defensive. And Feyenoord, ultimately, as the game went on, honestly got weaker. They, they got weaker. Calvin Staines had a brilliant first oh, half. Was good. He had a really yeah. good first half, died down in the second half. Kind of the same thing with Bechal. And the midfielders, I think, ultimately, as that second half went on, they just got t- more tired and more tired. We kept hitting them, put bodies on them. And Diego Simeone... On that touchline, conducting the crowd, bro. After that third goal went in, and for the rest of the second half, it's crazy. It's just it's crazy. It's just man. crazy that there's a coach like Diego Simeone. Yeah, yeah. Because imagine if there wasn't, who would actually be doing? What other coach like, realistically what, does it? That? What other coach realistically does it to the extent that Simeone does? Herrera. Uh, <laughs> emotionally okay okay emotionally actually yes purely emotion okay Pizzerera. okay i agree actually that's it i think that's it yeah that, okay yeah there you go you have <laughs> miguel miguel herrera and Diego Simeone. i think are the only two coaches who honestly would truly truly die for the game you think uh man like like let's say simeone leaves like would i may that be like a legit like, what do you have the qualities needed to be able to do the, what Simeone does? Simeone is going to be in a wheelchair on that on that <laughs> sideline, bro. He's going to be 102 years old. He's never leaving the technical area okay, okay, until okay. he's dead. Sorry, I should, until I he's have dead, said bro. that. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I'm just saying, at some point, you're going to need a rightful heir. 
Who's that gonna be? That dude? rifle air is twelve years old right now, bro. <laughs> 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 it's gonna be a long Holy time. Shit. It's gonna be a long time. We don't even know who he is, bro. <laughs> but it is actually pretty crazy knowing about your athletic fandom, knowing about just how emotional you're about it, how much you watch these games that you haven't gone to the Metropolitana so like yet. Yeah, and you got a you got a football show now. Like yeah. that's got to be on the priority list. It definitely of is. Footballing things you need to do soon, bro. Yeah, no, no, soon. One hundred percent. It's just you know, money, time. It's tough job, podcast. No. <laughs> Fuck man, you have to fucking remind me. Head up, champ. Head up. It's a sad reality sometimes, bro. It's a sad reality, but. Look, man, if I can cheer my team on and we get a 3-2 win in the UEFA Champions League, this is what I was talking about. Do you remember? I, I said this a couple of weeks ago. I was What'd like, say? I really miss those big, big Champions League nights where oh, I let yeah. the actually win. Mm-hmm. And this felt like that. You know, this yeah. felt like vintage 2016 where we put up a hell of a fight. We have a crazy good opponent, but we come out victorious, mm-hmm. bro. Mm-hmm. I honestly haven't felt something like this in a really, really long time when it comes to Atletico and Champions League. This was ridiculous. I'm having a tough time even verbalizing my entire experience because yes i'm describing exactly what i felt but i felt everything that i'm saying but 10 times more on that tuesday night bro 10 times more than what i'm saying right now and it, it was a crazy experience atletico get a really really good win honestly if you're fire Nord, though if i'm being unbiased a little pissed you didn't get a result I'll, oh, I'll be 100%. honest. Feyenoord deserved a draw. I'll, I'll be honest. And I think the only thing missing from the game was my fix of Santi Jimenez, man. I wish he could have been a part of this to see what would have happened. And I think he could have been the key to Feyenoord getting a result. I, I really do think so. Because for as good as Ueda was off the runs, I, he, he doesn't have as much of physical presence. Santi really does have that physical attribute to him. And I think he's starting to get very good at finishing. So I think Sante definitely could have added a lot more to this game, whether starting or off the bench. Unfortunately, he had the red card, yeah. but it just just is what it is. But next time in Fire Nord in November, that's going to be a crazy good game. See you there. <laughs> Meanwhile, Liverpool beats Gillowise in the Europa League. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> that's a, sounds that's, that's nice, a, bro. That's a different... <laughs> yeah. Sounds nice what you're going That's through, a bro. different tournament, man. <laughs> <laughs> Let's stay in the Champions League. Real quick, I have a take about Manchester City, right? We love Manchester City. Mm. We predicted them to win this tournament. So what did I take away from them defeating RB Leipzig 3-1? Rico Lewis was a part of this match. Oh, nice. Rico Lewis got, star- got a start. Now, you didn't watch this game, did you? I did not see okay. this game, no. Can you guess where Rico Lewis... <laughs> Played this match. <laughs> guess, bro. Guess what position he played. Fuck. Okay. I wish I could see. I'd be cheating. Like, who's on the bench so I could see where Pep might have placed him. Right. If like, I just have to initially guess. We've seen him in the back line. We've right. seen him midfield. Seen we've seen him, seen him up midfield. top. Where do you think he? Where do you think he ultimately played this match? I, I'm, I'm gonna say midfield. I'm gonna say center mid. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm going center. Well, that's mid. that's pretty close. Okay. That's pretty close. He played. Almost, it was bro. It's hella forward. Like he attacking, played, he was an attacking player. In my opinion, he was part of the front of the front three this yeah, time. Okay, almost playing like as a ten, just behind the nine, feeding in balls. He can do it, but he can do he it. He can do it. He continues his ascension, and what I realized watching him just do what he does, such a courageous player, so brave despite his small size and stature. He was born in a goddamn pocket. He must have been a, his mother was a kangaroo because he was born in a pocket and he finds himself thriving in these small spaces. But I realized, bro, what Rico Lewis is to Manchester City is what Camavinga is to Real Madrid. Fluid, versatile, creative players 
that can literally play anywhere on the pitch. And it's just the it's the bigness, it's the biggest signifier of where we are in football today, bro. 2023, these are the type of players that are almost necessary for a team to go deep in the Champions League now. You got to have one of them. One player that is able to do almost every single damn thing on the pitch at an elite level in whatever position that is needed. Rico Lewis is going to become that for Manchester City because they need him to be offensive today, and he did exactly that. By the weekend, we might see him play as a fucking left back. (laughs) And it's just ridiculous because the same can be said about Camavinga and how he shifts between that back line and going to the midfield. And I think we're just going to continue to see Rico Lewis ascend to that level because it's Manchester City, and it's what they do. Julian Alvarez getting on the board here once again, doing amazing things. We already highlighted him. Nothing to be said there. But Manchester City gets the 3-1 win away from home, and they're looking as good as ever. I feel confident, bro. I feel confident in our Champions League pick here oh, so yeah. far. No, we should, and people should start already thinking about Manchester City making a very, very deep run all the way to the final. But about Rico Lewis, that's actually a really good point because you know most times when you have to use a player that can that has a secondary position, you're usually not happy to do it. You're usually like, shit, okay, I have to use my center back and the left back today because our left back's out, right? He can do it, and he'll do a good job. He can play for 90 minutes, but you would rather have your starting left back there. When Rico plays in any position for Manchester City, I'm never disappointed in his performances. So far, no. Never, bro. Even if even if he makes a couple of mistakes, I'd say overall, he always puts in like a minimum 7 out of 10, 7.5 out of 10 performance in whatever said position Pep tells him to play. It's ridiculous how good he is no matter where he is on the pitch. One of those brutal starts to a Champions League uh, debut that I've seen. Union Berlin conceding two back-to-back last-minute game winners or game-tying goals. Once again, against Braga, going up 2-0 ni- behind goals from uh, Suriname legend, uh, Geraldo Becker, Becker, doing amazing things for this Union Berlin crowd in the Olympiastadion in Germany. Braga comes back into the match, and they win it with a... Beautiful outside the box finish by I believe Castro was his name makes it three two. The takeaway here is Union Berlin's getting fucked, dude. <laughs> They're getting fucked, and yeah. this is this like brutal, bro, brutal. Conceding a late minute goal to Jude Bellingham just last week to tie the match. It's just tough, and that's yeah, all I wanted that's, to say. That's, that's, that's all I got to say. League, that's man. Champions League football, but yeah. I want Union Berlin fans to just be aware that, like, we we know what we see what's happening, bro. Yeah, yeah we see yeah. what's happening. You've done great so far, but uh, yeah, sometimes it just doesn't go your way <laughs> because you have other stories like RC Lons, for example, fucking taking it to Arsenal, bro, and uh, winning two one at home despite all the odds, despite the the names and the players on this Arsenal team, this French side that is nowhere near as good this year as they were last year, found a fucking way to get a result here and defeat Arsenal, man. Beautiful thing to see. Watching that Lons arsenal game, and this happens to me from time to time, but it, this game, oh, this game made me jealous. Of who? Of what? Of Europeans, man. <laughs> yeah. Really, really did. Dude, I think every week that I'm watching these games, I'm getting more and more jealous. There are times, and Tuesday was one of them, where I just wish I was French. I wish I was 
raised in lawns. Yeah. I wish my dad was a season ticket holder at lawns, and I, 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 and I saw my first game when I was three years old at that same stadium that they just beat Arsenal at. I wish I could understand that culture that they have because what an atmosphere. Yeah. What an atmosphere. And they get that every home game in the French League. And the fact that they were able to play Champions League and host Arsenal and win 2-1, to one, like, historic <laughs> night in Lons. Histo- historic. And the historic. football that was played, it's stuff of dreams, man. It's the two goals that Lons scored through Thomason and then Wahi. In the, I know the Thomas one's going to get talked a lot, but wow, he's just as good, bro. Bangers. Bangers, bro. And, and so deserving of a win against a very good Premier League side. Lawn showed up that day, but so did the crowd, bro, because my, my God. And that, that's expected, though. That Lawn's crowd is always there. And we were, we were hoping that Lawn's could try yeah, to man. emulate something yeah, from last something. season. But Elie Wahi, bro, their, their newest signing from Montpellier, the biggest, like the second biggest signing yeah. from one French team to the other, dude. He's twenty years old, young, and he's French. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it just it it helps. further solidifying our idea of French players just are really, really good right now. Yeah. And yeah, Elia yeah, Wahi had an incredible one-time finish yeah. to take the lead to one. Thomason's beautiful curl to equalize one-one. Lance completely deserved it. For Arsenal, though, man, you know they do this. Yeah, they they, they they did this last year in the Europa League, you know, where they yeah. honestly underwhelmed against Sporting. And a decade ago under Arsene Wenger, when they were going Champions League, Champions League, Champions League, they would always have weird results, mm-hmm. bro. Mm-hmm. They couldn't really find consistency the way that Real Madrid do or the way that Manchester City is right now. For as good as Arsenal are, they have some weird European yeah, remember results. Remember the, the Graham Potter when he was coaching in Sweden or something? He led that Swedish team to defeat Arsenal at the Emirates Stadium in the Europa League of like the first leg or something. They lost the second leg, but yeah, like Arsenal was a part of a losing effort against a much lesser team of quality like over, I don't know, seven years ago or some shit? And it does happen, bro. It's like trademark for them. But I'll be honest, bro, I don't think I'm worried about it this year. I don't think I am either. Yeah. I think they will figure it out. They're going to get the results. They're going to get out of the group stage. It's just kind of annoying knowing the caliber and quality that they play at the weekend yeah, in the Premier League, yeah. and then to con- just kind of consistently see them play weird matches in Europe is very strange to see. And again, I want I do want to credit Lons here because they deserve the win and they have that type of quality when they're on it. Like, let's, I'm not saying that Arsenal should beat every single team or that the Premier League is that much better, but Arsenal are, are better than what they played against Lons. They're they're, they're much better than what yeah. they played. Honestly, I think they just got caught on that Lons mm-hmm. vibe and they're like, oh shit, what do we do here? Uh, I, I, I think that's what happened. It might happen again. I don't know if it'll happen against Lons, but it might happen again. But I, I'm still going to back Arsenal's quality. They just need to find it. Yeah, I, th- I think a result like this, uh, I know it may sound biased. I don't know what it is, but I just don't feel as much gravity attached to this loss as I do, for example, like a man you losing a Galatasaray mm-hmm. at home. I think there's a different context to what's happening around the team, the players, the coaches. I really do think they were just caught off guard almost by this team, specifically Lons, who is accustomed to doing this and has been doing this for over 365 days now yeah. because they did the exact same thing to uh, Messi, Neymar, and Bob at PSG just last year at home. So I'm not truly that surprised by what Lons was able to do because they are capable of yes. that. Whereas for Galatasaray, I think it's pretty rare because it was their first victory on English soil in 
Turkey's history, right? <laughs> Not just Galatasaray, but a Turkish club winning in English soil. Yeah. So I think there's a difference there. And I think that's why I wanted to make a point of differentiating both of these losses by Premier League clubs. Arsenal will be okay, but more than anything, RC Lens, RC Lons, absolute beautiful effort, man. And you got to be proud if you're a fan. The question now becomes then, can they make it out of the group, bro? I think they have a good chance. Yeah. They, they've started with this win. You get three massive points, and you can use that to jumpstart a decent run here. And they, they tied Sevilla last week. Right. So they're actually at four, and Sevilla, I think, ended up tied against PSV. Yeah, they did. And so Lons is actually in second. Sevilla is set for that Europa League spot. <laughs> I mean, everybody wins here, bro. Everybody wins here. <laughs> Everybody wins. Lons gets the uh, Champions League football. <laughs> Sevilla gets the Europa League. Jesus. I've been highlighting Galatasaray a little bit, bro. A I little know, bit. I know. And right? that, when, I, when I saw that they're playing Man U, I was like, oh, perfect timing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's do this thing, right? And I felt the same way, too, seeing them schedule to face off against them. I mentioned the players that they got this transfer mm-hmm. window. Mm-hmm. They're the Turkish team that stands out to me, to me the most this season. They tied last week, coming back from being down 2-0 in a game in which I thought they should have won given the talent, but they didn't end up playing that well. They're coming to Old Trafford now to essentially spoil the party for a Manchester United side that has been completely disappointing to start off the season. And they win. Galatasaray wins, dude. And they win in fucking style behind goals from Wilfred Zaha, Mauro Icardi, and completely shutting down the excitement that was built throughout the game behind Rasmus Hoyland getting a brace for for Manchester United and scoring his first goal at home. A lot of talk here about Onana. A lot of talk oh, yeah, here about yeah. Eric Ten Hag. A lot of talk here about Manchester United overall. But Galatasaray, bro, is now, I believe, in first place in this group. And they're living up to... The crazy potential I didn't know that they were capable of living up to, which is the ability to beat a Premier League team at home. Yeah, it's pretty, dude, so sweet to see. And what's funny is that I've actually seen a Galatasaray team kind of do this before, way back, like, I don't know, between like 2013 and 2015. They had players like Didier Drogba, Wesley Snyder, and they had this really good Turkish-German player, Hamid Altintop, baller absolute baller and not just that but the rest of that team was really really good i think they made it they had a really good champions league campaign like one year i think they got to the round of 16 and crashed out then but they had such a really fun team with some good turkish players but also some high profile foreigners too like like Drogba, for example so we've seen galatasaray do this before it's few and far between when they do but it's kind of cool to see them do it once again with players like maru icardi wilfried zaha actor goglu who got a really good goal uh, against manchester united this past week so it's so cool to see galatasaray a turkish team you know playing amongst the best in europe it's beautiful to see dude let's get to the nitty-gritty then was onana necessary <laughs> like in life <laughs> oh, man. as a transfer god damn it i don't know the guy no as a transfer like, like sorry yeah that was crazy uh, was he necessary yes. to replace it was <laughs> to replace 
was it necessary to replace De Gea with Onana? This is what I said at the beginning of the season. When I highlighted that, yes, De Gea is leaving on somewhat of a low for Manchester mm-hmm. United, but when you look at his entire career, he's one of the best Man United keepers of all time. And even at his lows, De Gea was still an incredible goalkeeper. And so I was actually a little surprised that they were letting him go because, you know, for a team that's in constant turmoil, De Gea is like the only guy who's always like the same, even if he's lost a little bit of form. Getting Andre Onana, I understood because he was a goalkeeper back in Italy. I, I, I got it. But my God, dude, like he's just it's gone he's bad, been really, really, really poor. It's gone bad. It's, been, it's, yeah. it's gone really, really bad. Yeah. yeah. You don't like to see it, honestly. The mistake he made, uh, the, the, the mistake he made at midweek was d- stupid. Stupid. It, it was stupid. stupid. Like it just completely avoidable should not have happened, especially at this level. Like it was really, really poor. Yeah. Really poor. Uh, losing the ball in possession and then completely getting chipped by Mauro Icardi. <laughs> And then last week, I remember against Bayern, he had a mistake as well that where the ball just Leroy Sané shot a shot from uh, outside the box, and he it was an easy save, but he just let it go through him. It's already uh, there's already compilations of those Onana mistakes being uh, compiled, and uh, it just makes me wonder: was it truly necessary? I don't think it truly was. I do, I I do feel that maybe a change was necessary. I just don't know if Onana specifically, because I do think the Champions League run last year really hyped him up way more beyond what he actually Ooh. was capable of because yeah. I remember watching him in the build-up to the World Cup because he was slated to be a Cameroon starting goalkeeper. And I always thought he was good. I thought he was solid, especially with how well he played at Ajax and then going on to play for Inter. But Man United quality, knowing how people are going to be eyeing the goalkeeping position specifically, I, just know, I don't know if he's that guy. Maybe he eventually becomes that, but... Right off the bat, when I've seen other, the way I've seen other goalkeepers come into these big teams and really find a way to, you know, hold their own, I'm not seeing that for Onana so far, man. Yeah. And I just wonder if they went for the wrong keeper in the transfer market. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I'm curious to see how he does this month of October. Can he turn it around? Because he has to turn start turning around now. I think so it's been too many back-to-back strings of weird and really poor mistakes, he has to fix it now. So I'd say the next three games, he's basically has to have mistake-free games. Even if they lose or get conceded yeah, it's on, fine. it's fine. He just cannot make any more mistakes. Yeah, I think about a guy like uh, Vicario, the Tottenham goalkeeper, coming from Italy as well for way cheaper, but... When you compare the both of them right now, I think shot-stopping ability and just overall confidence in the net... I think it's it's day, it's like day and night, bro. Yeah. The difference that we're seeing right now with Vicario thriving for Tottenham. So it'll be interesting to see how Vicario plays in that replay between Liverpool and Tottenham so that we can get our point back. But overall, <laughs> uh, pretty crazy that we're not a starting, bro. The, the only positive I can really give Manchester United in this loss is I think Rasmund Hoyland officially arrived. Yes. Officially. Two really good goals. And goals that honestly, I don't know if an average striker could finish. I'll be completely honest. He, like, he had that offside goal that I thought was really clean oh, as well. Oh, yeah. That, that he, was he, dirty, that, like, dirty finish. Crispy-ass body shift that was insane. Finish, I was like, fuck, dude, that was clean. Yeah. That was clean. That takes a lot of skill to be that composed, yes. that close to the goal. And he he has it, bro. He does have it. I, I think he's got it. And so to see him really hit the scene at Old Trafford, scoring two really good big goals, I was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Can, play. can play and let's see if he can just do it on a more consistent basis that's essentially the only question i have he's going to improve 
And I think, honestly, this is actually a good signing if this is what's to come. Yeah, I, I was hesitant about him just being that he got like nine goals and said he had last year, right. 20 years old. I didn't know if he was going to be that guy, and I still think it's a little early, but it is. he's showing good signs. And it's tough to show good signs in this current Man United squad. So props to him. I do like how he's playing so far. Let's see how it goes. Yeah, and one last thing about this game. In the build-up to this, you know, the first thing that came to my mind was ah, Wilfried Zaha's going back to England to play a match. <laughs> just like, just like yeah, that. Just like just that, Just like that. We're in yeah. first week of October. He's back in England. He's back at Old Trafford. And it was just brilliant that he yeah. scored that goal. That he, the first goal for Galatasaray. And it, a weird one. A, definitely a weird one. But he uses his body. got big in the box. Ultimately, wills, the, wills that ball into the back of the net. And I just thought it was pure poetry, man, I for him it. to get. I loved, I loved it, it, bro. And... We had brought up the point when we were talking about transfers is, is it worth it for you to leave a Premier League side to go to a Turkish team or a Turkish Mm -hmm. equivalent, right? Because it's it's so different. England is the spotlight of Mm -hmm. European football domestically. But you go to Turkey, you get Champions League football if you're on the right team. And so, you know, is that a good trade? Is that the good give and take? BT Sport had Wilfried Zahan on the post-match reaction and he said he basically confirmed. Yeah. He confirmed what we had initially said that he went to Galatasaray for Champions League. And he said that yeah. even though Christopas was amazing, the Premier League is the best thing in the world. He said it was worth it to just have yeah. a chance to play Champions League. That's awesome. And he scored. Yeah. And he scored. Yeah. And he, he said, and he finished it with something that so simple. But I was like, oh shit, this is crazy. He said, the reason why I want to go to Champions League is because. It determines if you're good or not. Damn. It's crazy. Holy shit. He's right, bro. Like, you're not, realistically, in the grand scheme of things, if you're not playing in the Champions League, yeah. probably not that good. Yeah, and even if you're on a small team and you make Champions League, like RC Lons or whatever, if you find a way to thrive within that squad, those Champions League teams will notice, like Mina Mino did with RB Salzburg exactly. a couple years ago. Like, that is where you showcase, ultimately, your skill. Yeah. And he chose Galatasaray because they gave him that platform. Yep. Whereas with Crystal Palace, bro, he's not going to get that for another 28 years, man. <laughs> like, that's not going to happen. It's not. And so I, I, I definitely have come around on it. I, I think that was by far the smarter decision. Yeah. Galatasaray in Turkey or Crystal Palace mid-table in England. I'm going Galatasaray, bro. Yeah. Especially if they got Champions League football. <laughs> I bring you World Cup news. World Cup news has arrived. Yeah, World yeah, yeah. Cup news. And we are the World Cup boys here at the Give and Go. We must acknowledge this crazy news that has been decided for 2030. The 2030 World Cup. It is official. Morocco, Spain, and Portugal are set to host the 2030 World Cup. But there's a caveat. Yeah. Uruguay, Argentina, and Paraguay to play their first games at home to celebrate 100 years since the first edition. So six countries will technically be hosting the 2030 World Cup. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. My initial reaction is I just wish it was in Argentina, Paraguay, Uruguay as the whole thing. It had to be, man. I can't can't believe that that opportunity was missed. A hundred (laughs) years of World Cup football. A hundred, bro. That's that's the number Rick and Morty's trying to hit, bro. A hundred years, man. A hundred years of football. International. And we're just not going to do it where it all started. Dude, FIFA 
missed a sitter. They missed, <laughs> they missed a sitter. Like, they fucking missed it, dude. Like, I don't know what... The ball was right there in front of... And they just scuffed it. I don't know what happened, bro, because... No disrespect to Portugal, to Spain, no, to Morocco. I'm sure they would host an incredible World Cup, but the decision to combine these two, I mean, you're hearing, you know, in the bushes, you're hearing rumblings and whistlings of, you know, corruption because with the implementation of Uruguay, Argentina, and Paraguay getting a few games in this tournament, technically that will go down as a partially South American World Cup, which means they won't be able to bid for eight more years. Meaning hmm. that in 2030... The stage will be set for a World Cup in Saudi Arabia, which is what a lot of people think this was all set up to do because Asia will then be able to bid for a tournament, which conveniently they have just pulled out from this bid, the 2030 bid, to make way for this decision. Ah. So there's sayings that perhaps there's money involved. Saudi Arabia, with everything they funneled in throughout the transfer window, what they've done behind the scenes, Man. are trying to get the 2034 World Cup. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying I think that might this might have been a decision that involves the next World Cup that comes after that. Damn, that's crazy foresight then for, <laughs> for every, any player involved. If that's true, holy shit. They're like, yeah. we need this to happen. How can we do I, it? I could see it, man. I think I could see it. 2034 Saudi oh Arabia, and it's because South America was unable to bid for it uh, in 2034, given that they were part of the 2030 World Cup, technically. It's annoying that they would consider that as an actual like uh, hosting opportunity. But, you know, you know, you know I will say... And we've brought this up before. I'm just kind of disappointed in South America's overall bidding, like confidence that they have within themselves. We talked about it at the Copa America. Like, no That's one true. wants to host the fucking thing. No, but nobody, unless they're Argentine or Brazilian, no one wants to host it. And so, you know, therefore we have it in the, in the States, right? And so I kind of get it, like, why FIFA or even South Americans themselves might not want to have it there because if you're not going to have it in Brazil or Argentina, where are you realistically going to have it? Like Chile, I don't think it was going to want to do it. Ecuador is not going to want to do it. Bolivia sure as hell is not going to want to do it, unfortunately. So it just kind of makes, I can, it can make sense that they're just like, let's try and avoid South America right now. It can make sense. Yeah, it feels like they're trying to satisfy different different confederations with this one i mean they killed two burns with one stone essentially yeah right now that now south americans will be able to at least have that celebratory moment of 100 years argentina will get their games paraguay will get their games uruguay will get their games but then just the logistical idea of you know playing a game against who knows that's the that's the thing the 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 problem too is what if they have to play what if it's like austria that ends up playing that match against argentina in argentina then has to fly over and has yeah. a game in Morocco three, four days later on a completely different time zone, yeah. completely different mindset. I wonder if that's being taken into account. Maybe there's a week-long break in between those, those matches. Teams, yeah. I would hope so, but if they try to keep it accustomed to the regular World Cup schedule, it's going to be insane logistically for those first few matches for the teams that aren't Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay competing against them. Yeah, geez, yeah. The, the logistics for those opponents, man. They're, they're Fucking screwed. nightmare, man. They're screwed. <laughs> it, I, I will say, though, that I have always wanted like an Iberian World Cup with Morocco included just because of the cultural... Uh, just because of the cultural history that they share in that region. I've always wanted that. So I actually think it's dope that there's going to be a World Cup in that specific region of the world. I honestly can't wait for it. I, I just still think it's a crazy 
hugely yeah. missed opportunity that it's not going to be in Argentina and Uruguay for the whole the whole yeah, month. Yeah, I think that's where it, I stand. It's, it's just Ultimately, really I'm like, man, like, what a missed opportunity. I don't think Morocco, Portugal, and Spain will be a bad... Bro, the final is Santiago Bernabeu probably. Yeah, Camp Nou. Yeah. Like, it could be, it's going to be insane, the stages that we're going to see on really amazing pitches. But, yeah, I was kind of hoping that would happen in 2034. Right. 2030 could be South America's. That's it. It yeah. just shifted four years. We got time, man. Come on. <laughs> we do, man. Come we on. Do, so. The AFC Champions League is upon us. That's right. The AFC Champions League. And you might be asking yourselves, the AFC Champions League, what's up with that? What's going on over there in Asia? Well, if you weren't aware of what happened in the transfer window... A lot is happening in Asia, man. With the insane moves that Saudi Arabia made in the transfer window, spending boatloads of money and getting a guy as big as Neymar to come join this confederation. You have the AFC Cup happening in January. And when you look at the international level, teams like Japan going on crazy runs in the World Cup, playing really good football. I think there's an argument here to be made that the AFC Champions League that is upon us, that we are about to see is the most talent-filled, highest quality, and most expensive AFC Champions League we've ever seen, bro, because of the names, the yeah. talent, the teams, and how they form themselves this year is going to make for something truly ridiculous in the Asian region. Region? Region. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to kind of establish here before, you know, the tournament truly gets going because we already have started. The game, yeah. is, the tournament is already a few matches in. Yeah. But I want to establish the Given Gill's point of views here. Who do you truly see as contenders for this tournament going into it as a actual viable chance of lifting the trophy? Is this a tournament that ultimately is going to be dominated by Saudi Arabian sides? Mm. Or are there other teams in China and Japan and in India and Malaysia and Thailand, perhaps, that could compete against these strong, man, strong transfer market value teams in Saudi Arabia? Damn. Ask me this question again in December once I've been able to see all the teams. But right now, I think the clear favorites probably are going to be Al Nasser with Cristiano Ronaldo and also Sadio Mane and also Anderson Tolis, Talisca, yeah. Otavio, Marcelo Brozovic, like... Not only do they have the names, but they're playing really, really good football. And I think to stop a team like that is going to take a lot, especially since they're free-flowing right now and they have a lot of chemistry, and they're only going to get better as the season progresses. So I would actually have Al Nasser or any other Saudi Arabian team definitely as favorites right now. But I've only really focused on the Western Conference of Asian football in these first two matches of the AFC Champions League. For the next couple of weeks, I'm going to start looking at the eastern side of the bracket. So every year we see it. There's always either a Japanese or a South Korean team that makes it to a final. So I'm never going to count them out, ever. And once again, I do think that one of them is going to make it. I don't know who. Think so? I really do think so. They just always do. And when they do face a Western team, it doesn't matter the track that that Eastern team got there. They yeah. always compete. Always. So... Based yeah. off of that history, based off of that history, yeah, I'll definitely say Japan or South Korea, but I'll need to see it for with sure. my own yeah, eyes. More, more, more insight is needed. But yeah. I, I, the way I see it right now, I see between two teams. I see it between Al Nasser and Al Hilal. I know there's a lot of good teams. Olsen Hayunda has a good squad this year. Urawa Red Diamonds perhaps could do something special defending their title. But I do think there's 
something worth noting about the gap financially that has been created between mm. not just Saudi Arabia and Asian football, but Saudi Arabia and the world. There's still a January transfer window that's left that could end up impacting these teams even more. And so I ultimately only do see a Saudi Arabian side lifting it. And personally, man, it's tough. It's tough to go against Ronaldo in these situations, the Champions League king. But I do see something happening for Al-Halal. You got Neymar. You got Mitrovic up top. You got Michael. Malcolm. Mohamed Kano, one of the best Saudi Arabian midfielders out there. Khalidou Koulibaly. Al-Sharani, the great left back that's been playing so well. Yeah. And then at the back, al Saudi Arabian starting goalkeeper. I think this team already has a really strong basis. And just on a surface level prediction, just to put it out there, I'm going Al-Halal wins their fifth AFC Champions League trophy. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll, I'll join you as far as just no throwing way. it out there. Okay, okay, okay. But I'm going Al Nasser. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, throwing okay. it out there, I'll just go ahead and say it. I do think the Saudi Arabian team is going to win, especially just when you look at how much stronger each team is getting there, just financially and market value wise with the squad that they have. That's such a big point of contention to really talk about. But yeah, my team that I'm throwing all my cookies in is going to be Al Nasser, 100% for me. You, you, don't, for me. you don't see any sort of limitation with them because my, my, my thing for them is I see such an over-reliance on Ronaldo and Talisca, man. Yeah. Like outside of them, I don't know if I see more to be given from this team so far, but maybe as the season goes by, they can end up finding way more offensive weapons to really become a dangerous threat against these AFC sides. Yeah, I, 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 the, yeah, I see what you're saying. But for me, I think Al Nasser are only going to get better. And when I look at their points of attack, I actually see a lot of different avenues that they can take. First off, you, you have Cristiano Ronaldo, who's going to, you know, first off, plan himself out on the wing, but will join the center forward and basically become another number nine. He's so good aerially, will find himself on the end of runs, and when the ball's loose in the box, if Ronaldo gets on the end of it, there's a really good chance that he's going to put it away. Then you have a really big target man like Anderson Talisca, right? And he already proved this past yeah. match week that he can get up and he can score. Talisca's back. He's a really good footballer, not just in the air, but with the ball at his feet. I think that's a really good option to have as well. And then when you look at the midfield, Marcelo Brozovic, uh, he's having fun out there. He's having just he's having his way right now with the ball, with the opponents that he's facing. He's just dribbling through players like they're not even there. And then once he starts understanding, I think the movements of uh, Garib, Ronaldo, and Talisca, I think he'll be able to find them all in a lot more space, a lot more often. And then of course you still have Sadio Mane. Once That's he's true. fully back, he'll, he'll be on the other side and he'll just be able to just come, dribble penetrate, dribble penetrate, dribble penetrate. And then, of course, you know, if Brozovic not having a good game, well, you have Yusuf Fofana. Fofana, who can yeah, a, Fofana. very good box-to-box midfielder, but is, you know, deceptively good offensively. He can really push it forward. You have that as an option. And if you want a ball handler to just be able to distribute, we have Portuguese midfielder Otavio. As well. Shit, I forgot he's there, it's dude. It's crazy, Shit, bro. And then we haven't looked at the defense, man. <laughs> Who's back there leading the line? Oh, fuck. Amerik Laporte, bro. That's right, Laporte. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Actually, yeah. Actually, you're making a great point right now, man. You're yeah. really selling this team to me. Yeah, so that's why I'm... Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty big Ijole. on Al Nasser for all those reasons. And 
I, I again, I actually only see them getting better too. Yeah. So once they get to that final man, I think we're gonna see a crazy good crazy. team. We already saw a mini version of it where Al Hilal faced off against Al Nasser. I think like a month ago, and mm-hmm. some I don't know what the final was, but they faced off against each other, and Al Nasser won. I think it was like a shootout, like four to three, and it's indicative, you know, that they were able to top this Al Hilal side. I also didn't mention Ruben Nevis. It's worth it. Let me just He's mention there. that. He's there. He's just there. Just to equal the names. Can you throw out some names? <laughs> I got to equal that energy. Yeah. But okay, really interesting to see where we stand right now. As for what you've seen so far, what's been your take? Yeah, so I, I caught that Al Nasser game, and they played, and they hosted a Tajikistani team. Istiklal was their name. And I, I thought this was going to be done and dusted by the 15th, 20th minute. Um, although I was curious to see how Istiklal could play because they tied Al Duhail, a pretty good Qatari team, in the first match week, 0-0. So, like, okay, so they, they can take a beating at, at the very least. And, bro, they did exactly that. The first half, Istiklal did their best to mimic a sponge because they just absorbed <laughs> pressure after pressure after pressure, attack after attack after attack. And they ended up taking the lead Nuts. 1-0. Nuts. <laughs> Crazy Nuts. Away tactic. Away from home, too. Away from home. Ended up being a toe-poke finish. It caught the keeper off guard. In my opinion, if he was more ready, he probably should have made the stop, but he didn't. But credit to Istiklal, because they had one tactic, and it really was just two blocks of five. And when you get the chance, we're sending no more than two players to go forward. It really was their plan, but it worked perfectly i was actually a little disappointed with al nasser's first half performance because their attack was pretty nonchalant they really didn't go for it they had all the ball they had all of the possession ronaldo was actually doing really well he would get onto the ball cut inside do nice little diagonal passes or when he was feeling it he'd take players one-on-one ronaldo actually had a really good performance but the rest of al nasser was just a little slow they didn't it didn't look like they had that much drive or motivation once they come back out in the second half, though, a completely different team. Completely different team. And it's the team that I think will ultimately lift the AFC Champions League title because that team in the second half is a team that can score five, six goals. Yeah, And man. they went off. Yeah, no money either. And, yeah. Uh, it, it was nice, man. It was nice to see Ronaldo score that first goal. Good really goal. nice finish, man. Just seeing him get that get that goal. It's the same thing. The same feeling I get when I see Messi do something special for Inter Miami. Seeing Ronaldo... Top bins, finish, tie the match up, go grab the ball, get back to the half line, mm. and just start pushing. It was nice to see, man, because once that happened, the energy got back into this Al Nasser squad, and Taliska scored back-to-back goals, I believe, to give them that 3-1 lead. So they do have that dangerous offensive threat that is guided by Ronaldo, but more so, like you said, the players behind them yeah. are capable of just going on a rampant run because these three goals that they had, I think were scored like within like 20, 30 minutes, bro. Yeah. It was just a an onslaught that ultimately Isiklol was not able to yeah. to withstand. And Al Nasser wins the game. Yeah, Isiklol tried. Honestly, hats off to them. They put up a hell of a fight, but Al Nasser were clearly the better team at the end of the day. Uh, but I, I do want to focus in on Cristiano because, you know, doing that comparison of Messi, it made me think, I was like, damn, like, I haven't seen Cristiano Ronaldo play a full 90 minutes since, like, the World Cup. It's been almost a year. Whereas, like, I'm seeing Messi weekly, you know, at Miami pre-injury. Two times a week. (laughs) Right. God damn. So I I had forgotten how much focus was on Messi for me personally and how much I had taken off from Cristiano. And this was my first night, full 90 minutes, seeing him in an Mm -hmm. Al Nasser jersey. And, dude, he did not disappoint. Seriously, like, if you're a Ronaldo fan, you can go to bed happy knowing that Cristiano's 
completely fulfilling his legacy just in Saudi Arabia instead of the United States. Especially the second season because he's going off this year now. Yeah. I think he's like 16 goals already in the league or some yeah. shit and like yeah. seven assists. The numbers are insane. I remember he got off to a somewhat slower start last year, still put up double-digit goals, but this second year he's settled, he looks comfortable, and beyond that, the team that he has now – just a complete contrast between what he started off with at Al Nasser and what he has now, dude. So I think he does see himself as like, oh shit, I actually do have an opportunity here to guide this team to a legitimate Champions League trophy, which was something we talked about even last year when he made the move was, yes. can he find a way to top Al Hilal, who has been dominating this tournament in this region for so long? He has that chance now, and I think he's aware of it, bro. Yeah, Exact. That's exactly what I got from this performance. Was Ronaldo truly looks at home, like he's made himself the guy at Al Nasser. And even though now he has you know Sadio Mane, Anderson, Daliska, Brozovic, like it's still very much Cristiano's team. And you can see it, man. Like the players listen to him. He's constantly guiding that offensive line, and he's always on the ball, always looking to run. He looks. Great great out there and I think I, I think that awareness of all right I'm starting to feel myself I have really good teammates beside me we're doing really well in the league even though it just started and we have a really good chance to win a continental title like I, again I think Ronaldo is very aware of the amount of silverware that he can gain at the end of this season bro and uh, honestly I hope he pulls it off because I, I, I hope so if there's a team to do it I do think it's this Al Nasser team next game real quick staying in the Middle East I'll Duhail ended up hosting Persepolis. Alduhail being a Qatari team who did very well last year. And then Persepolis being a historic Iranian team who has made Champions League finals, who has won Champions Leagues. Recently, I saw them in a Champions League final a couple years ago. They played a Japanese team in Iran, but lost. It was actually crazy. But So I was actually curious to see, because Persepolis have always had that history of being very, very good. But recently, they, they really haven't. They haven't made deep runs, and it's been you know the Saudi teams that have really taken that stronghold over really good performances over the Iranian teams. Um, so I was, in, I was interested to see what would happen. For Al-Dukhail, a lot of familiar Qatari names, bro. Al-Mawaz Ali, Maribo, Karim Boudiaf. Very, you know, familiar Qatari national team players. And then, of course, Felipe Coutinho, <laughs> who's on loan from Aston That's Villa. Nuts. I forgot. He's dude. there, I yeah. Forgot. So I was like, I, I, I forgot too. I forgot. Once I saw the lineup, I was like, oh, shit, Coutinho's here? Wow. <laughs> I know, bro. Wow. Yeah. And just to get straight to it, Coutinho had a bad game, uh, man. Yeah, a yeah. really uh, yeah, bad yeah. game. Uh, every single touch he had was sloppy. Are you serious? Dude, the, he would have entrance passes come to him and he would try to trap it and it would go three feet away serious? from him, bro. It was bad. Bro. It was really, really bad. He would maybe get past a player and there'd be like an open pass to like to his winger uh -huh. and he would miss pass it. It was weird, bro. Was it lazy though? Was it truly uh, bad? Uh, it was bad. No, no, no. Yeah. It was bad. Like his passes weren't even close to what they should have been. My only guess is that he's just trying to get match fit. Mm. And so I'm gonna give I'm gonna give him that benefit of the doubt. I'll check back on him maybe in a month or two, see if that's fixed. But it was probably the worst Coutinho performance I've Good seen. God, it was man. it was Good really God. bad. Dude, he couldn't. He he really even couldn't dribble like past two yards, and he would get it stolen from him. That's, it was bad. That's really disappointing because from an Al Duhal perspective, 
you would be hoping that Coutinho oh. would be thriving right now. Yeah. Especially in this group because they're in Al Nasser's group. Yeah. And Persepolis, I think, is set to finish in second for this group. Mm-hmm. They need quality from their loanies. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. yeah, they're begging for it. Happens to be that guy, bro. He could be going off for them. He could and be. it might be a little too early, but still, man, like yeah. the talent, the quality difference should be enough to where Coutinho comes in and just dominates. The fact he isn't, dude, just tells me that he's gonna be on a James Rodriguez type of downfall where he just goes from team to team yeah. and just yeah. isn't able to make the starting lineup, bro. That that's what I think this might end up in. I'm hoping it doesn't, but even besides Coutinho's performance, Aldo Heil just don't really have an offense. They really don't. They have some decent defensive players. Bamba is an Italian who's, who's actually pretty decent. Ruben Schmedo, who's played with Olympiacos earlier in his career, he's pretty good too. Um, but besides that defensive line, dude, like they, they don't have much going forward. Olunga's one, another player. Montari's another forward that they have, but they really need wingers. They need service. They need creative midfielders. And they just, if Coutinho's not going to do it, no one else is. So if you're an Aldu Heil fan, man, it's just not looking good offensively. On the, con- on the, on the opposite side, though, Persepolis look great. They only got a 1-0 win, but I, I, I actually credit Aldu Heil's defense because of that. But Persepolis had majority of possession. They completely dictated the pace of this game, and they played their style fully. Aldo Heil could not change how Persepolis was playing. And what I really like about this Iranian team is that they have a really big focus on possession. Honestly, it's kind of Spanish in that regard. Like It's about moving the ball back and forth, maintaining possession at all costs, and then when you see a really nice through ball, go for it. It's really creative, honestly, and they do the little tiki-taka, little one-two touch. It's beautiful to see. It's just, you know, can get a little sloppy at times. You know, it's not, it's not the highest quality, but the ideas are fantastic, bro. And there's one player that I want to highlight, 21-year-old Salmani. Has not made an appearance for the Iranian national team. He just joined Persepolis literally like last month, and I think he's on the rise fantastic player attacking midfielder likes to you know thrive right in that pocket right underneath the strikers but he also likes to come deep he has a very free role in this team it's so dope to watch bro highly recommend catching a Persepolis game and specifically watching number 80 Salmani bro because he 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 has the perfect foundation to be a very good attacking midfielder the only thing is is that he's pretty inefficient that's the only thing. So, for example, if he, if he sees like a wide open through ball, he's going to go for it. Doesn't necessarily pull it off. He would have these crazy one-touch attempts, one-touch pass attempts. Crazy. Didn't necessarily pull them off. But the, the fact that he was even going for them, like these crazy passes, like, oh, okay, this kid's very confident and he has the skill set. He, he just needs to improve a little bit. So I'm, I'm wondering to see where Salmani's career can go because if he can keep improving, he's young, 21 over the next two, three years, maybe he could join, like, you know, for example, the same caliber like Sardar Asmun, who was able to actually go and have a career in mm-hmm. Europe. I think Salmani could have that same trajectory, but he does, he does need to improve just a little bit. That's my take on Persepolis. I think they have a really good team this year. I actually have them getting out of this group outside of Istiklal and Al-Dukhail at Al-Dukhail's expense. So... Uh, yeah, I, I think Persepolis have a pretty good team this year, and obviously Al Nasser, uh, you know, are really fucking good. Yeah, the other match that I saw was the uh, Al Hilal, and I'm going to try to say his name here, Nasaji Mazandaran, playing playing against each other. Neymar's second game in the AFC Champions mm-hmm. League, and I was just intrigued to see how does my boy back right behind you perform in this tournament. 
And he finally, man, finally got his goal. Yeah. In which Nasaji just truly was not competitive. Alhila took over from the get-go, away from home, just doing their thing. Mitrovic got on the scoreboard here. And it was just good to see a good, really solid team effort to get a win after tying their first match in this tournament. But specifically Neymar, man. Specifically Neymar getting his first goal. It was interesting watching him, bro, because he's so selective about when he decides to implement those bursts of energy oh yeah when he's on the ball and he gets on the ball but then he'll decide do i like what's in front of me or or am i just gonna say fuck it here if he likes what's in front of him then he'll feed a perfect through ball to his running teammate or he'll do a crazy like uh, do a crazy skill move to get past the player and then create an opportunity but then other times he'll just Kind of just decide, you know what? I'm just going to hand it off to my midfielder. I'm just going to hand it off to the side and just let them figure it out. His whole approach to Saudi Arabia so far has been kind of all that because he's not putting in the same heart that I've seen him put in before for teams like Brazil, for teams like PSG, but he's still so good, so talented that even though he is selective now and even a little bit lazy, it's enough to make an impact. And I just wonder mm-hmm. if as the tournament goes on, will he, you know, turn that knob up a little bit more and more? Because truly he doesn't need to go any he doesn't have to go crazier than what he's doing right now, man. He's doing enough to guide this team to solid victories. I want to see how he performs in those knockout stages. Once there's actual stakes and competition, do we see Neymar, you know, actually tracking back, actually mouthing off other opponents, actually getting into the game and actually, you know, like throwing himself when he gets uh, when he gets fouled and shit because he's trying to milk as much as he can out of the match. What kind of Neymar will we see down the line? Because right now, I don't think we're seeing 100% Neymar, but I don't think it's necessary for Al-Halal to win. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw the same thing when he made his debut two weeks ago for Al-Halal in the AFC Champions League against uh, an Uzbekistani side. It was, he was very relaxed. Like, he never really turned it on, but there were moments when he would just do something crazy. It was, I, I like that. He's, he is very, very selective, especially now, I think, when he, yeah. when he knows that, you know, he's not in the UEFA Champions League and he, he knows that the fans are going to, like, you know, harass him yeah. if he fucks up. So I, I, I definitely think he's kind of actually enjoying that, that, that side, honestly. Because I wonder, will we actually see a Neymar that doesn't get injured as much because of that? Ooh. Like his health could actually end up benefiting from his decision to play like this. You're right. And ultimately, I wonder if that's like a conversation that Al Halal and the executives have with him, where they're like, "Hey, you don't got to play 100 percent to thrive in this league. Play 60 and also be aware of your health, so that we can have you for a full season instead of what PSG got, which was a you yeah. know a hospital bill every second half of the season, bro. <laughs> every single time, every bro. single time, bro. It's so true, bro. Holy yeah. shit. So I hope eye. that. I hope that. Yeah. Keep an eye on Neymar to see how he how he just continues his path in his career here in Saudi Arabia and how his health benefits from it.